Okay, as in go. This is Fork Tales, a podcast that feeds the restaurant world. feeding you, please follow us on your podcast service of choice. And do give us a five-star review. Think of it as a tip for good service. joined by my friend David Jones. He's the president of a company called The Excellence Advisory, which we'll get into in a little bit. Um, but before we do, David, why don't you say hello and give a little bit of backstory? Well, hello, Joseph, and thanks for having me on today. I consider it a personal and professional honor to be here with you, speaking to your audience. And uh, I'm actually an engineer by training, uh, 25 years in corporate America, and then I had the great blessing and ability to uh, work with pals through their Business Excellence Institute, which I hope we get to talk about, and um, did that for seven years. And, and today I do um, teaching, consulting, and uh, coaching, executive coaching for small to medium-sized businesses, including a lot of restaurants. That's awesome. Yeah. So pals is um, essentially what prompted our connection on LinkedIn. Um and it's a, honestly, it's a concept I had never heard of. They're, they're not here in Georgia or in central Pennsylvania, so I just never come across them. But what really grabbed my attention and prompted our discussion was um, Powell's Sudden Service is what it's called, has these amazing, huge sculptures on their buildings, um, sculptures of their food, like hamburgers and drinks and uh, all kinds of things. And this just struck me as such uh, an amazing thing. Um before we get into why they're doing that, can you give us just a little bit of a rundown about what PALS is all about? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's, so it's a drive through only uh, 31 uh, unit chain in East Tennessee and Southwest Virginia. They are known for their speed, their hospitality, their service, their cleanliness, their value, uh, and their people. They're amazing at what they do. And if you were to gain access to their numbers, their data, which, you know, obviously they're privately owned, so it's not public information, but they are off the charts in their performance. It's just amazing what these folks do. They've got a very, very loyal and strong following here in, in this area. And um, um, they, impressive in a lot of ways. Let's just leave it at yeah. that. No, I love that. Um, and so from an outsider perspective, you know, 31 units is respectable. Obviously, it's, it's, a, it's a nice footprint for uh, an SMB. Um, but getting back to, I think, what draws people in, I mean, you can't miss these things. You can't miss these sculptures. So can you shed any light as to how those sculptures even came to be? Um, were they a relic of when PALS first started or are they integrated into that's just what we are and how we do things? Yeah, it's a great story. I appreciate you asking that. So um, Pal opened his first Pals back in the 1950s. And after he opened his second one in Kingsport, Tennessee, 
he was at a, a trade show somewhere and they they had these um these they were called muffler man it was a big fiberglass mm. man holding a muffler and pal went up to the vendor there and he said could you make one holding a hamburger and the guy said well sure so huh, love it they made one with a hamburger they shipped it across country pal put it up on his second store and didn't do anything else didn't change any other marketing or advertising and his sales went up 25% the next month oh wow he knew he was on to something Fast forward 25 years uh, into the uh, early 80s, he decided he was going to open uh, drive through only because the first, you know, in the 50s, there were walk-ups. Mm-hmm. And so in the 80s, he's, I'm going to open some drive throughs He had other restaurants. He had a fine dining restaurant. He had a, a dinner theater. So he was uh, very entrepreneurial. And he was having dinner one night with a good friend of his, Tony Baroni, who is an artist and a restaurant designer. And he just mentioned to Tony that he was going to open, he was really thinking seriously about opening drive through restaurants. And Tony says, oh, I've always wanted to design a drive through Here's what I would do. And he grabbed the napkin on the, wrote on the napkin. Pal was across the table from him. So he drew it upside down so Pal uh-huh. could see it, right? This is how talented he was. He draws upside down this concept for a restaurant with the giant hot dogs and the Frenchy fries and the, and the shakes. And Pal says, I love it. And, and Tony grabs another napkin and says, well, let me give you another idea. And Pal says, no, stop. I want this. <laughs> Today, that napkin is framed and hanging on the wall in their corporate offices. I love so it. It's very much by design. I mean, that that's a very 1950s... Um, I hate to say it, but it's, it's kind of relegated to the 1950s. I mean, you, you see it with um, architecture all over from that era. Um you know, even things like Las Vegas, like old Las Vegas with the grandiosity, with these huge glowing bright signs and the cowgirl kicking and the, and the cowboy tipping his hat and all that stuff. Like this is, um, this is what it was all about. And, and I think it's derivative of the, um, the, the road tripping culture that came with the advent of the automobile, you know, hop in the automobile, drive down, down route 66, uh, these roadside attractions, um, of which there are many of those too, which are kind of in the same vein, like the giant dinosaur, the giant ball of yarn, all these roadside attractions. But we, we've gotten away from that in a lot of ways, especially architecturally speaking, you know, a lot of architects would snub their nose at this. And what we see now is a lot of these, um, uh, these sculptures, but also these sort of like spokes characters have been, um, discontinued. Uh, I think Ronald McDonald kind of sticks around, but he certainly isn't the most prevalent part of McDonald's any longer. And then architecturally speaking, we're getting modern boxes that sort of just don't have much life, uh, (laughs) to them. They may be aesthetically pleasing in some ways, but they certainly don't have what pals has. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that trend? And, and do you think Powell's continues to see success with embracing these roots? Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up. My wife and I were just talking about this the other day. If you look at the new designs, they're all basically the same. They all, they, it's, it's very similar. It's a, it's a muted brown with a muted red and a, a square and I don't know. Um, Maybe a pop of color. Maybe. Yeah, maybe maybe a little bit. Taco Bell's got their purple now and, yeah. and whatnot. But um, yeah, they're all starting to look the same. So, you know, you really want to stand out in a sea of sameness when when um, 
you know, you're basically serving the same thing, even if it's either tacos or pizza or burgers. You're 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 serving a, a need that the customer has to eat. And so why not stand out? Um, Palace is very big on their brand, and you you are a branding expert, so you understand this, that they want to um, do everything consistent with their brand. When you do something that's inconsistent with your brand, then you confuse the customer. And you know mm-hmm. what Donald Miller says, if you confuse, you lose. So right. they're always very consistent with their brand. <clears throat> they keep their menu simple. And they deliver every single time. With all due respect to marketers, your best form of marketing is what? Word of mouth. That's right. right. Your customers become your marketing department when you do a good job. And that's what Pals does. In in essence, they spend spend roughly on a, a percentage of sales basis, roughly half of what they're like competitors spend on advertising because mm-hmm. they have such good word of mouth. Yeah. And that comes from the, like is the consistency, the quality of the food. Um, but one of the things that they have in their advantage is um, what, what these uh, sculptures deliver is awareness. Yeah. You can't miss it. Absolutely. So many brands spend a ton of money just trying to get attention, which is the first step before you're even talking about a purchase. And that's where a lot of frustrations come from with advertising and marketing dollars being invested. It's like spending all this money uh, and our discussion usually is, yeah, we're just trying to get people to know who you are, mm-hmm. you know? And so that's why the needle doesn't look like it's moving because people aren't ready to buy yet. They didn't know who you were, you know? So it's not just about saying, Hey, we're, you know, David Jones burger factory. We make burgers. It's, uh, you know, Hey, we're David Jones. Like you haven't heard of us. So we have to give them a reason to pay attention. We have to give them, um, a reward for paying attention with, you know, good content or a good story, something that they want to share. And all of this is happening and there's no purchase yet. Um, whereas this approach is like, I'm driving, I see these big sculptures. I know what the food is. Um, then it becomes a little bit more of, well, why should I try your food over my current favorite? Yeah. Um, which is essentially, you're going to have to tell them they're wrong in some way that their current favorite is not, in fact, the better choice. And that's very delicate. I think a lot of restaurateurs forget that. Well, what happens with pals is, uh, you know, they have a strong local following. Obviously they're, they're local here. Yeah. Um, and longevity in market. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so when someone new moves into the market, they inevitably see a pals and say, what the heck is that? And they go, they ask somebody, right. They ask their neighbor or their coworker, say, what's the deal with this? And, then the gushing comes out and say, Oh, you gotta go to Pal. You haven't right. tried a Pal. Oh, you need to go there. And then they try it, and we got another fan, and they keep coming back and keep coming back. The average Pal's customer uh, visits uh, three times a week. Oh, wow. The average McDonald's, Wendy's, Hardee's, you know, their competitors, their global competitors, visits three times a month. So it's yeah. 4X the repeat business. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, 
So kind of going into some of these strategies, I noticed on another podcast, you had a profound statement, um, one that I agree with profusely. So we won't get into any kind of juicy argument here over this, but I wanted to talk about it. And you said something along the lines of, in the wake of the pandemic, restaurant operators have a second chance to make a first impression on returning guests and staff. You know, we all know the adage, you don't get a second chance to make a first impression, but um, you definitely flip that on its head. I agree, but can you expand on what you're thinking and and how can operators and brands make sure that second chance has a lasting impression in a good way, not in a bad way? Yeah, really good question. And, and how often in life do we get a second chance at a first impression, right? So whenever you have an inflection point and COVID certainly was an inflection point, things change. Things tend to change one way or the other. And we've seen that with the labor market. We've seen that with all kinds of aspects of our lives. And, what I've noticed is, uh, one, the, the brands and the organizations, the restaurants, businesses that were struggling before the pandemic are struggling after the pandemic. So what that tells us was it's not the pandemic that, that's causing their problems. It's something inside. It's, it's the way they operate. And so if we have this chance at a and a new first impression as customers come back. And and we're pretty much at this point, almost beyond that point where everybody's kind of back out and about. Mm -hmm. But if that customer is coming back, we have a chance to win them over totally um, and and leave all that past behind. And so hopefully the organizations that... uh, took stock during the pandemic and and really said, all right, we're going to hunker down. We're going to improve what we do. They're seeing the results now. They're seeing the difference. Um, And um, a lot of it comes down to uh, actually two brands. Uh, One is your your marketing brand, the brand of of your business. But the other is your employer brand. Mm -hmm. And that often gets ignored by businesses. They don't think about their reputation as an employer they're just they're too busy doing stuff right they're, yeah they're trying to get the business trying to get the money yep exactly exactly and and so when um when somebody thinks gee do i want to work at that restaurant because restaurant you know restaurant business it gets in your blood people just you know they get in and they want to you know certain people they want to stay in it they love it right so the question then becomes well which restaurant and uh, if you have a good reputation your employer brand then you're going to be attracting people to you rather than having to go out and draw them in so it becomes more of a a selecting process than a hiring process where you get to choose um there was a great example recently uh, a chick-fil-a in southern florida Mm -hmm advertised one job, one position, and they had over 400 applicants for that wow. job. And, and what they did was they said, look, this is a, uh, the schedule is flexible. You're going to work three 12-hour shifts, and you can do the morning or the evening, um, um, but you're going to get your full work week in, in three days. They have 400 people line up to take a That's shot at getting that job. So. When you have a good, strong employer brand, when you provide more than just paying benefits, that's that's on the surface. That's sort of like table stakes. Um, 
But if you have good working environment, flexibility is a, a key uh, item these days. Um, you know, a lot of people want to work from home. Of course, you can't do that in restaurant business so much. Um, but that's the, the flexibility aspect. Um, you know, great coworkers, advancement opportunities, personal development and growth. All of that plays into your employer brand. And so if you have a strong brand, you will attract people to you. And that's what we continue to see post-pandemic now. Yeah. And I think we see a lot of, you kind of mentioned it, a lot of brands making the same mistakes all over again. They just reset right back to where they were without learning any lessons. And it's not that the pandemic itself was a teacher of lessons, but it, it, what our reaction to the pandemic as, as, a, as a globe provided a situation to be a teacher um, in that you, you kind of got to shut down. You know, I mean, even though you still provided food, all the dining rooms were closed and all that stuff. And it should have been, could have been a really good opportunity to take honest stock of what just simply isn't and wasn't working anyway. Um, and there's no better way to test that stuff, especially with like the product mix, for instance, than online ordering and delivery. If people aren't buying it, it's because they don't want it. Right. And you know what I mean? Like, and, and people are not especially going to buy it plus delivery fees, plus service fees, unless they really want it. And yet we still have brands out there that went right back to their old menus um, with all the items on it. Cause God forbid you remove something. Um, mm-hmm. And they're, they're just ill-equipped to make the tough decisions that, that actually could reposition them for um, strength today, strength in the future and strong growth. And like you said, the other product is, how am I treating the employees? Why are we still subscribing to an employee experience that, like you said, is table stakes and, and the table ain't even that great. You know, we're not talking about a high roller table here. We're talking about the uh, penny tables um, from, from top to bottom. And the prevalent um, takeaway is they just want more money and people don't want to work. And while there may be some of that, we're coming into a point now, economically speaking, where whether people want to work or not doesn't even matter anymore. Their credit cards are maxed out. Their bank accounts are low and they got to work. So, you know, the realities here, that's what, you know, we're, we're, why we're seeing a shift away from the great resignation, the great reclamation almost. Mm-hmm. Um, the question becomes, well, what kind of experience are these people going to have? Are you going to put them back into the muck, expect them to work crazy hours, um, burn them down, drive them down with no future growth? Or... Are you going to create that path of the things that they really want? And most people want to grow. They don't want to feel like they're at a dead end. And I think that's something that the restaurant industry in a lot of ways has provided is simply a dead end. This is what you're doing today. It's what you're going to be doing next year. You need to find a way out, or this is what you're going to be doing when you're 30, 40, 50, 60 and beyond. Um, so Let's let's kind of shift gears here. Not really shift gears, but let's kind of get into what you're doing, I think, to help companies and restaurants um, do better. And so, so tell me a bit about the Excellence Advisory. And maybe it starts with what you were doing with PALS, which was a subdivision of PALS. And you can maybe start there. Yeah. So PALS, um, they won the Baldridge Award in 2001, which is like the National Medal of Honor for business. Hmm. You don't get any higher recognition. It's given out by the president or his designee. And uh, if, if you win the Baldridge Award, and it's not just for restaurants, it's for all businesses, municipalities, 
education institutions. Well, wow. um, if you win the Baldrige Award, you are among the best of the best. There's no question about it. Only two restaurants have ever won that award. Pals was the first. The second was K&N Management out of Austin, Texas. And they were a client of Pals Business Excellence Institute. So there's wow. a very strong connection there, um, correlation uh, and causation. And um, and so Pals, in their typical Pals fashion, said, well, you know, we're getting a lot of people coming to us, even before they won the award, that said, you know, hey, you guys are doing something special here. Could we come by and learn from you? Could we, you know, could you give us a tour? Could you show us around? Um, and not just restaurants, but businesses of all kinds. Mm-hmm. So pals in their own fashion said, well, you know, let's let's be systematic about this. Let's set up an institute where we have people there who can teach our principles and practices. And then we can keep running restaurants because that's what we do best. We're, right. we're not we're not um, business trainers. We, we, we need somebody that can do that for us. So they partnered with David McClaskey. And then as that grew, David contacted me and said, hey, I need another person who can consult, who can teach classes, who can coach executives, which come on board. And so I did that for seven years. It all sort of ended around the pandemic uh, time time that started. Uh, David still runs a consultancy. It's the McClaskey Excellence Institute. Mm-hmm. I do the Excellence Advisory. We're both focused on the same things. We're still good friends and colleagues in sure. uh, many respects. And the whole idea is to help the organizations that really want to be extraordinary in what they do, to help them find the ways to get there. Most organizations don't. um, They just want to get by today. And that's very unfortunate. There's only about about 10% of business owners and leaders really want to step back from uh, the day-to-day working in the business and work on the business to help make it better and stronger. Um, to go back to PALS just a little bit here, uh, they have 31 stores, but they do triple the sales and triple the volume of their like peers. Mm-hmm. So on the books, they look like a hundred stores. Wow. But they only have to run 31 to get that those returns. And so the better your performance, the easier your life becomes. And most people think, oh, gosh, to be high performing, it must be hard. It's just too difficult. I'm, I'm, I'm just not going to go there. And it's the opposite. Mm-hmm. When you start eliminating those things that keep you on that treadmill, that keep you doing firefighting all day long, when you eliminate those, your life gets better. Your phone doesn't ring after hours as much. You're, you can take a vacation. You can go somewhere and not worry about your restaurant. And you have better returns. So I work with the people who see that, who have a mind for that, and want to make that happen. And um, not just restaurants, but a lot of restaurants. I have a lot of friends in the restaurant, right. a lot of clients and ex-clients. Um, but I, I, I get the chance to work with governmental agencies. Um, the Savannah Bananas, if you're familiar with them, they're, they're yeah. uh, a blazing entity right now yeah um, and a lot of restaurants as well so yeah i mean if there's any place where there's tons of fires restaurants would be the industry 
as well. I mean, we, we know what the spinning plate syndrome and all the adages apply to the restaurant industry. So it sounds pretty fantastic. And, and it, there's a, so many consultants out there um, for restaurants. Um, some are fantastic. Some are mediocre. Some, I'm sorry to say, are snake oil salesmen. You know, they, they worked at a restaurant for X amount of years and they feel like that they, they can apply things. And, and I've seen a lot of bad uh, systems, a lot of bad processes in their wake, um, promises of excellence and, you know, the time runs out and they're on to the next, like a locust. And I know it sounds pretty vicious, but I've just seen some terrible stuff. Um, and systems are one thing, but activating them tends to be where the rubber really has to hit the road and where most people hit the road. Uh, something tells me that your engineering background has positioned you well for identifying the issues, creating systems, and then helping them activate it. Um, how, how does that look from your perspective? Yeah. So if you think about a restaurant um, and actually what it does, if you sort of step back for a minute, it's really a manufacturing operation. Mm -hmm. You're manufacturing food real time to a specific order based on your menu. And, and if you look at front of the house, back of the house, they're really all based on systems and processes. And, and the more you have those dialed in, the smoother things go. Everybody's, you know, knowing what they're supposed to be doing. And it, it I, I tell you, if, if you look in the kitchen of a, of a very high-performing organization, it will look like ballet. They're, mm -hmm. they're just moving. But, but, you know, it wasn't scripted because you don't know what that next order is going to be. But they just there's a fluidity to it and there's a camaraderie and a harmony and synergy going on. That's just really from a nerdy perspective, it's a thing of beauty to watch. It's, it's amazing. You can, you can feel it. And so that doesn't happen by accident. You know, the natural order of the universe is to tend toward chaos. And so you have to put those systems in place. And like you said, putting them in place is one thing, but sustaining them is another and it's right. it's like twenty percent of the effort is in putting it in place. Eighty percent is sustaining it. So you have to make it a habit. You have to you have to change in a way that it's harder to go back than it is to go forward. Because if it's easier to go back, well, human nature is we're going to go we're going to tend toward the easier. So you make the new ways easier, and you eliminate the possibility. Uh, wherever you can of it actually going back by the way you make the change. Right. So we can only do it the new way that becomes our best known way. And it's not our best practice because best practice sort of implies you can't get any better, but if you call it your best known way, then that leaves room for improvement. And mm. all of these organizations, the, the pals, the Chick-fil-A's, the in and outs, they didn't start at the top of their game. They started where everybody else starts and they worked their way up to it. It's an incremental process. So you take small and sustainable steps and you just keep doing that and keep doing that and keep doing that. Here's the thing though. That's not really sexy. It's not attractive. It's not headline making. It's not going to go viral. Right. But what would you rather have if if you have uh, you have all these ideas in your head? We're going to make all these improvements. We're going to go charging in. We're going to make all this stuff happen. You got a hundred things on your list. Which would be better for you to do a hundred things, three percent complete by the end of the year, 
or three things 100% complete. That's right. And and so that's the approach, and it's counterintuitive because you got 100 things on your list. Oh, I've got to work on them all. We got to do all this. I can't I can't leave the 97 um, to work on just three. But actually, you're better off if you do. And so you sort of dial back those John Wayne, Bruce Willis intentions. You know, we're going to mm-hmm. ride in and we're going to shoot them all and we're going to round them up and we're going to drink all the whiskey and then we're going to go on to the next one. And we're going to just systematically, methodically, one at a time, make things happen and uh, make sure we don't fall back to the prior ways. Yeah. And what you started off saying too is so profound. I want to reiterate it is the fact that, that humans in general, in everything that we do, we will find the path of least resistance. We will find the easier way of doing things. Um, it's just, it is in our nature. It's in everyone's nature. You know, why go the harder route? And then you see it play out, um, maybe not as a macro leader, but if, if you get into the trenches and, and put on the disguise, what you'll find is when you're getting trained, you'll hear things like, well, this is the way you're supposed to do it, but we do it this way because it's better or it's easier or it's simpler, <laughs> you know? And and I think in there, um, there's a lot of uh, domineering leaders that would say, oh, that person has to get corrected and and or ousted. But it's like, wait a second. Like, take a second and, and like, what are they doing? Is it easier? Is it making it better? Is it making it faster? Is, is there, is there some sort of efficiency that results in either the same result or better? Maybe it's time to iterate. And I think I love that you, you have a, an uncemented word that's still really strong, which is, this is our best known way of doing it but that leaves the door open for iteration, which is innovation. So when leaders say they're innovative, I'm like, okay, when's the last time you changed your process? And if it wasn't in 10 years, then no, you're not. You just, uh, you just did a thing once. Um, so I think that's quite brilliant. I love that. I love that nomenclature. Yeah. And, and so if you're a business owner or a leader and you see a frustration on an employee doing things the way that they've been taught, but they're frustrated, well, then that's a sign that they know of a better way or they know there must be a better way. Let's go in and look at it. So let's not um, say, oh, my gosh, I got all these frustrated employees. I wish they would just do their work. But actually take that as a signal that, hey, there's an opportunity for improvement. Let's go in and see what's causing this frustration. Yeah, I love that. Well, so this next question may cause you frustration. Okay. But it's possibly the most important question of all. If you had one final meal... What would you eat? Where would you eat it? And why? Oh, goodness. Well, uh, I've got a lot of friends and, and clients in the restaurant business. It would be like saying, what's your favorite uh, child? <laughs> um, so um, let, let me just say this. Um, I wouldn't want it to just be a meal. I'd want it to be an experience. Sure. And so um, it would probably be something like... Uh, maybe a burger and a hot dog at historic Grayson stadium, watching Savannah bananas play or or something like that. I love that. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, there's so many good answers that I get from that question too. I think it's one of my favorite questions to ask, uh, because of the nature of food and, and how it does bring people together, breaks down barriers. It sort of smooths out something, uh, that may have be a friction point. Like food is just the great connector truly. Um, well, David, this has been great. And thank you for being so generous with your time and your thinking and your past. Um, how can people connect with you? Where, where do they find you? 
Sure. The best place to find me is on LinkedIn. And you can uh, do a search there. It's it's David M. Jones. I'll send you my link if you want to put that in the we'll show. We'll have that in there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So um, uh, LinkedIn, I'm posting every day on performance excellence, what you can do to take your business to the next level and to the next level and, to, and just keep doing that. Um, and also I have a website, theexcellenceadvisory.com. I love it. That's and, great. Well, oh yeah, go ahead. One more thing. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Um, oh, wait, there's more. Wait, there's more. <laughs> um, I've got a book coming out this fall. Oh, how could you save that for last? Okay, tell me about the book real quick. This okay. is great. It's called Signs of Excellence. And it's based around 52 uh, um, sayings, you, you, you might say, but they actually appear. Pals, I don't know if you've, um, if your audience knows, but Pals has a, a signboard out in front of the, each store. They, they change their message every day. Mm -hmm. and, and a lot of times it's, you know, um, feed your piggy bank or hug your grandma or something like that. But a lot of times it's something more business related, like be a good listener or um, be a leader, things like that. And so what I've done is I've taken 52 of those that are business related and I've made each one a chapter and hmm. um, made it very uh, hands on, very uh, accessible to the average person because business excellence is not rocket science. There's no rocket science to it at all. It's it's more about discipline and perseverance, sticking with it, uh, making it happen. So um, I touch on mindset, skill set, and action set uh, for the business owner and leader. I love that. Um, we'll have to have you back on when that launches so we can dive a little bit deeper into it in a second I episode. Because that. Yeah. So, that sounds um, fantastic. I don't know when, when people are going to be listening to this, but it'll be out fall of 2023. Great. Yep. Excellent. Well, we'll get that on the books. Um, again, thanks for being so generous with your time, David, and uh, we'll talk to you real soon. Awesome. If you love what we served up, please follow us at Vigor Branding on Instagram and LinkedIn. Fort Tales is produced by the team at Vigor, a Pavone Group company. Audio and post-production provided by Zencaster and the Pavone Group team. Music performed by Jet Trash and licensed through musicbed.com. Joseph handles his own hair, makeup, and stunts.